From the opening pages of Scripture, you see a God in creation. You see Him at work creating the world that we know. A few words later, we begin to hear about the Holy Spirit moving in that creation, agitating, stirring things up so that creation might happen. But then you get down through the movements, through the days, through the opportunities of creation, and God decides that God wants to make humanity, verse 26, in our image, plural. Now this is a conversation that we're going to have today that may be different than what we've had in our regular ebb and flow of Sunday mornings. This message is about the Trinity, T-R-I-N-I-T-Y, Trinity. It's the concept that God is one and three, three in one. If you're not confused yet, you might be soon. But the reality is this, is that this series about doctrine is intended to take us deeper so that we might understand God more, but we believe this truth to be true, that God should be sought, not solved. Because the moment we can figure everything out about God is the moment that God quits being God. You jump into the Gospel of John, and the opening words begin something like this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then you go through a series of pictures of how this word, the very person of Jesus, existed from the very beginning of time with God in creation, and the writer of that gospel is trying to present the picture that when we were, pre- when we were created, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Doctrine. It's where we are today. And maybe you feel a little bit like we've gone back to school. Maybe you've taken out your app and you've begun to write down some thoughts or some questions or going, okay, I've got some real confusing points. If we're going to unpack the Trinity, I mean, let's start with this. I mean, I read through the Gospels. I read through the story of Jesus. If God is one and yet three, how does Jesus pray to the Father himself when they are one? Right? We start thinking about these pictures and we go, how does this make sense? How, how do I draw this up? How does this begin to even fit in my understanding of who God might be? Now, the challenge we've laid out this entire time through doctrines, all now the second week, has been this. We believe that head knowledge should always lead to heart change. Head knowledge should always lead to heart change. So as we've gotten into the doctrines, we've gotten into the foundations. Even last week, we talked about the holiness of God. That holiness above everything means that God is set apart, that his mission, his purpose, and his person is even otherworldly. It cannot fit in a box. And so if God is holy, then there may be attributes, understanding, and characteristics of God that we can't fully comprehend. But what we know to be true should affect what we do. And so head knowledge should lead to heart change. Because knowledge without a life changed is just cold and dry. 
and heart change without the understanding and knowledge becomes irrational and irrational and unstable. So let's start with this today, can we? Let's start with this understanding. The Trinity is hard to understand because it cannot be fully understood. Can we just start with that beginning? The Trinity is hard to understand because it cannot be fully understood. Some of you are like, well, that's a cop-out, Schaffner. Well, not really. Give me a little grace, okay? I want you to know that today, God should be sought, but not solved. And the moment we solve everything we know about God is the very moment that God stops to exist in our very understanding. Now, we would agree that there are all sorts of things in our world that we don't understand. Knowledge, understanding, information is at our fingertips everywhere in this world. And yet, of all the things that we can know, we have a limited understanding and expression of the world around us. And so if you have questions today, it's important for you to understand that this is a safe place to ask questions. This is a place to have confusion. This is a place where when we have doubts, we wrestle together. And so I want to encourage you today that if you get done with this message and you say, I need to understand more, let us know on our Connect card. Let's sit down and have some conversations. Let's begin to dive into Scripture and see how God reveals himself. Because even though it may not seem logical, there is proof that God exists. I mean, logically, if we begin to understand the God of Scripture may exist in a realm beyond our own understanding, we have to be okay with not being able to quite quantify who Jesus, God, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit may be. Throughout history, I think there's been attempts. Maybe you were in Sunday school class and somebody wanted to be able to teach you what the Trinity was like. Maybe you heard illustrations like a, a clover, a cherry pie, an egg, or water, right? I mean, let's take water that somehow water can exist in three different forms, yet it's the very same thing. Water, ice, and gas. Or maybe you heard it like this. My favorite one is that God is like time, past, present, and future. They all kind of exist. And yet, God being transcendent of all time, being an eternal being, doesn't even quite fit in that box. Every form of explanation about God, other than the God of what he expresses in Scripture, tries to simplify God in a way that is tangible, yet lacking. I mean, if God is like water and exists as water, gas, and ice, the idea, though, is that they exist as three different persons, but never in the same existence. It's what they call modalism. God exists in a mode, but not in the entirety. Or it's partialism, where it gives part of an understanding, but not the full experience of God. I get the desire to illustrate God. I get the, the idea to try and comprehend who God might be. But if God is transcendent, meaning he is beyond our physical limitation and understanding then God cannot be simply brought down to a tangible handle. There are pictures, there are our ideas, but we cannot quite grasp it. You confused? Me too. 
I mean, here's what's interesting. As we talk about the Trinity, did you know the word Trinity never even appears in Scripture? It's found nowhere. And so how do you defend a concept that Scripture itself doesn't even quite say out or express out? It would seem like we're forcing this together. But if we look at Scripture for how God is revealed, how God is expressed, we see God being revealed in the very simple words of the Old Testament through the name Yahweh. 7,000 times the name or phrase Yahweh is expressed. But there are other names that we see of God. God the Father, Elohim, El Shaddai. We see Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah and Savior. We see the Holy Spirit as the Comforter, the Prince of Peace. Wayne Gruden begins to describe how we might define what the Trinity is. Wayne Gruden says it this way, God eternally and necessarily exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God and there is one God. That's the fabric by which God is revealed in Scripture. So let me give you an image, a diagram real quickly. It's called the Trinity Triangle. It tries to express this simple thought that all exists, all are equally divine, all are considered God way, uh, Yahweh. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Yet they are God. Three persons. One God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are wishing you went to children's church today and thought, man, I'd, I'd just like to eat some goldfish right now, right? And yet... When we step into our freshman college class, when we begin to step on the universities, when we begin to talk with anybody of any other worldview, this is often the hinge point. This is the question, what makes your God different? We wrestle with this. When we begin to think about God in, in, in the worldview of pantheism, maybe, maybe God just exists in everything. We think about polytheism. We think about how maybe God is many gods. Or some of us choose just to opt out and say that we are atheists, A meaning no believer in theism, God. Timothy Keller would say it this way, the doctrine of the Trinity overrides our mental circuits. It's beyond our comprehension. Even in our statement of beliefs, our elders have written down that the Trinity is a faith-filled mystery, meaning you can't quite hold it all together. I love this quote from Evelyn Underhill. She says, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped or trusted. I mean, I think we all get it, right? There are some things in our life that we don't quite understand, can't quite comprehend. I mean, we, any of you use a microwave this morning? I mean, we see it function, we understand how it is, but do we, do we quite comprehend it in all of its fullness? Ever lived out the mystery of flying, right? Ever talked on a cell phone to the other side of the world? Ever tried to explain gravity 
the third law, third law of thermodynamics. I mean, there are all sorts of things within our world that we try and comprehend and, and, and we try and get figured out and we have a, a basic understanding, but do we fully grasp the concept of it? So here's what we want to unpack. We want to unpack relatively quickly the framework by which we need to begin to understand the Trinity. We're going to talk first and foremost about what it means to be monotheistic, to believe in one God. What it means from the Trinity that they are equally divine, both in eternal existence and their ability. And yet, they are distinct. So let me address these three components. Let's unpack this. Let's start with the first one. We believe in one God. As a church, this is where we stand in the understanding of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that they are one God. We believe that God is transcendent and God can be seen all through the world and is all-powerful, all-knowing. But we don't see God in many gods. Oftentimes, even throughout old, old, the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel come face to face with other cultures that have tried to define the existence of God through multiple gods. But the God in Scripture, we believe, is one God. And so much that the foundation of our faith, being from Jewish heritage and fulfilled in the life of Jesus, we believe that Christianity starts in this deep-rooted foundation called the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was the heartbeat, the mission of the people of God. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus is asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Shema was the foundation by which our belief begins. That God is one, and only God deserves our worship. That's why when God defined his relationship in front of the Israelites... He starts with, there will be no other gods before me. Now, we may not have idols. We may not have other things that we say that we worship. But in our culture today, idols can be anything from our money, our career, a relationship. Anything that begins to take the place of God's rightful place in our lives. And so when we begin to say that God is holy... God is set apart, there begins to be this value driven in all of us to know God directly, that only God is worthy of our worship. Second of all, though, they're equally divine. We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God. They're all equally God. When you begin to read Scripture, not only do you see the true God being expressed in the relationship with Israel, you begin to see moments of God's presence show up with the nation of Israel. We begin to see the very person of God show up in Jesus, and we begin to experience the very presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit. 
So when Jesus claims to be God, Jesus is either right or wrong. There's only two options here. Either we have a conflict of the character of God in the person of Jesus, or Jesus himself is worthy to be the one to pay for our sins, provide life everlasting. That's why in John chapter 14, there's this discussion where Philip begins to speak and begin to declare his faith. He says this, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. How does Jesus answer? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, understand, this, this is a difficult concept to really embrace. And while the nation of Israel is longing for a Messiah, looking for a Messiah, even to see the Messiah exist in front of them is difficult. But remember, we believe that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all divine, and yet they're not the same. Third, we believe that the Father, Son, and Spirit are all distinct. They're all distinct, not just in their mode or their method, but also in their purpose. We see the Father send and begin to shape the very mission of our world and our lives. We see the Son in Jesus as the one who will save us, purify us, restore our relationship with God. And we see a spirit who begins to sanctify us, purify us from the inside out. But Jesus would affirm this and this unity when he speaks of his role and his unity in John chapter 10, verse 30, when he would say, I and the Father are one. Same page, same purpose. Same existence. And maybe you're sitting here going, okay, I, 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 don't, quite, I don't quite understand this yet. I, I'm still trying to get my hands around this. I mean, we see different portraits. This knowledge that we're gaining should begin to drive us somewhere. It should begin to shape us. And so let me, maybe this is our prayer this morning, that may our lack of clarity never cloud our awe of God. If you find yourself, even in this moment, trying to wrestle with, well, what does this mean for us? How, how do we begin to put this together? I mean, I know this to be true. I have a relationship with God because I have, a, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. I have sensed, I have recognized, I have known how God is working. And now as you begin to define this in front of me, now I'm more confused than what I was before I got here. But we believe God should be sought, not solved. Our belief in the Trinity should not lead us to confusion or to try and get God in a box, but it should begin to raise the ceiling of our understanding, begin to capture the holiness and the awesomeness of God. It should cause us to, to breathe a deep breath that when we sing songs and sing praises, we begin to realize that the majesty and the magnificent of, easy for me to say, magnificentness of God is to be stood in awe of. We should 
pause and recognize and say, even though I don't understand, I know this to be true. There's perhaps no greater way that we can experience the Trinity than the work of our own lives and our own faith through salvation, through the gospel message. Hebrews says it this way in describing a a movement that would point to the reality of the Trinity, proof. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may be able to serve the living God? I mean, oftentimes I think we read passages like this and we just kind of blur over them saying, okay, I don't get that. But there are these fingerprints that God is revealing himself as holy, as otherworldly, as beyond our day-to-day understanding. Our salvation and our sanctification, the work of God in us, requires the work of an all-distinct yet work of a triune God. It is God the Father who sends. John 3.16 says, For the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. There must be a God who confronts our sin and desires justices, while at the same time providing a plan and a solution for our debt. That's why we believe in God, the Son who saves while Hebrews reminds us of, uh, us of this, it reminds us that it was a covenant, a commitment made by God that we would be made right through Jesus. But in order for the debt of sin to be paid in full, there must be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect atoning. And that could only be through Jesus. And we believe that God, the Spirit, sanctifies Again and again, God is working in us from the inside out so that we might go and be the church where we live, work, and play, that we would make disciples following after a God who is more expansive than we can comprehend, yet tangible enough to be experienced through the person of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, the good news is this. Uh, We jumped in as a teaching team and said, okay, let's let's unpack this a little bit. Let's just kind of pop the top on this doctrine. We're just scratching the surface of the immense nature of God. We did some research. We began to talk about it with other pastors and other friends. And so I sent some emails out to men who have done this for 20 or 30 years or men who lead lead churches much larger than us who would have influence. And I said, have you ever preached a message on the Trinity or who does your favorite message on the Trinity? They said, no, and I don't know. Which I was like, great. That's going to be a lot of help for us. But I had a professor that used to remind me of this. The good news is we don't enter into heaven because of our ability to explain theology. We have the joy of eternity because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We cannot fully comprehend everything about God. And I think I'm okay with that. Because what I know to be true 
in my own life, as I have surrendered my life to the understanding of Scripture and the understanding of who the person of Jesus may be, my life is transformed. So we have a challenge today. Though our view may be confusing and though our view may be cloudy, we have two choices. We can either leave here and beat our heads against the wall or beat our breasts. Beating our breasts is, a, is actually a model of something that happened with Scripture and Jewish tradition. It's called tampering. It's called beating against your heart. It's like, like a tambourine. That when you speak of something to be true, you, even though you can't quite comprehend it, you would be able to affirm it. See, I think for us, in the awesomeness of God, we find ourselves humbled. When we see the expansive nature of God, it causes us to be in awe. When we continue to trust and dive deeper in Scripture to learn who God is, it should compel us to take greater steps of faith and obedience. So what will your question or what will your challenge be to be today? To continue to beat your head against the wall or to relent and to trust what you know to be true? In just a moment, we're going to move to our time of response. And in doing so, we actually want to make a declaration of praise and prayer today. Now, I realize not everybody has grown up in the church. And I know that not everybody who's been in this church has probably sung many hymns. But we're going to sing in just a moment what's called the doxology. The doxology is a classic hymn that is literally a prayer before God of declaration. Aaron is going to go ahead and come out on stage, and he's going to get ready to lead us in this time of prayer. Now, I want to encourage you, as the band is coming out and getting in place, I want you to begin to take a posture of prayer. Some of you may choose to stand and sing in this moment. Others of you may just take a moment to go to your knees in prayer. Others of you may just sit in your seats to reflect. The truth of the Trinity, if it's pointing to a God greater than we can comprehend and speaking to the truth of a God who is tangible enough to experience, then this moment of worship might be best declared as a chance just to surrender before God and admit that what we don't quite comprehend still compel us to want to know him more. We're going to sing the doxology twice. It's really only four lines. But it is a prayer that declares the greatness of God and reminds us of the Godhead three in one. You can either stand, you can either go to your knees, or you can sit in this moment in reflection Let's sing the song, the doxology. 
Would you join me in this moment as we sing together? Praise God. You can stand, or as Danny said, you can kneel. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. favorite part of that song is the last word. Amen. Let it be so. That's what it means. It's a declaration of agreement. Let it be so. You know, our intention to dive into doctrines isn't just to make us smarter, but it's to lead us to life change. So I want to challenge you today in your own walk with God. If you have questions, if you're confused, if you're sitting here today and going, I've just really liked the God that's Jesus and I'm cool with that, but now I'm seeing something much larger than what I understood. This how to study the Bible mid-sized group is probably a good place to begin to see the expansive nature of God. So I want to encourage you to take out your app, hit the Sunday button, Use the connect card and either let us know how we can pray, how we can encourage you, or if there's a next step of faith or connection that you want to be a part of. You know, in just a moment, we're going to take communion. Whether you're at home joining us or at work, whether you're here in the room, we pause at communion to reflect. We reflect that God sent his son to die for us. We see the very nature of a triune God who had the mission and purpose to send us a sacrifice on our behalf to be embodied in the person of Jesus who literally said to those around them, this bread, though it was different than this, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. same way he took the wine and he said this is my blood poured out for you take and drink 
after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he reminded them. He reminded them that the plan has always been that God would send, the Son would save, and the Spirit would sanctify. And he said, I am sending one. The triune God who exists as three but is known as one. Isn't that a beautiful portrait in communion? It's always been God's plan. Last of all, I'd like <clears throat> Last of all, we have a chance to give of our tithes and offerings. We have given respond boxes in the room, but most of us actually express our generosity through the app. I want to encourage you, whether today is the day to give a one-time gift or to set up your recurring giving, this is partly how we, we respond in our worship, is to surrender in generosity back to God as God has been generous to us. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to continue to sing and to declare the truth about God. May this moment and may this day be a moment that has raised your understanding and knowledge about God so that it will propel your faith and obedience in the world that we're a part of.